Well, hello everybody. Thank you, you're too kind. You know what I do now because she told you to. Thank you, Rebecca. But uh, it's so good to see you. Welcome to Lagos. If it's your first time, you're especially welcome. And February brings two really important things. Number one, February brings the beginning of the Six Nations, which is very important to us. And thank God Ireland beat Wales yesterday. And thank God Scotland beat England yesterday. And thank God for any team that beats England anywhere at any time. And we're really looking forward to winning the Six Nations, hopefully, and the World Cup this summer. So February is a very important time for that reason, but also because we start a brand new series, like Rebecca said, called Cop On. Now, we're not a church that endorses Father Ted, but we would encourage you to watch it. And if you're someone that was born somewhere that wasn't Ireland, and you want to try to understand, which, by the way, good luck with that, uh, Irish people, then probably one of the best attempts you could make at that is by watching Father Ted. And of course, one of the most famous sayings that's used over and over again in that series and over and over again in our culture is the saying, cop on. Would you cop on, would you? How would you ever cop on? Just cop on. On. Of course, for us who grew up here, this is, this is as natural as drinking water is. And for those of you who come from other places, like, what the heck does cop on mean? And really what cop on means is like, wise up, do I say in Northern Ireland? Or, you know, get it together, or, you know, you know think straight, or use common sense, or whatever, whatever iteration or, or phraseology you would use. But for us, for the next four weeks, what we want to talk about is, how do we foolproof our life? Now, I'm not saying we unfriend all the fools in our life. That's a different series. How do we unfool ourselves? How do we grow out of foolishness? And perhaps over the next few weeks, how do we become more wise? So it's a very short series. Originally, when I was thinking about this series, I was thinking, man, we should do this for a whole year. Because there's a lot of foolishness in here. There's a lot of foolishness right here. In fact, most of the foolishness is right here in the front row with me. So we can spend a whole year talking about foolishness, and it still wouldn't be enough. But unfortunately, we have a plan for the year, so we only get to do it for four weeks. And what we're talking about, like I said, is this idea of wisdom. Now, if you've lived for five minutes, here's what you know. Foolishness is inevitable. <clears throat> Foolish, like at some point, at some time, we're all going to Think things, say things, do things, or think, say, and do at the one time. Things that are foolish. And what's so funny is when in Ireland we do something foolish, we often say to ourselves, oh, will you ever cop on? How did I end up? Why did I? Like, how do I always? Like, it's, just, it's, 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 it's almost like natural, it's natural to us or for us to be foolish. Foolishness is inevitable, but cop on is intentional. It's something we have to be intentional, something we have to work on, think about, prepare, plan for, cop on is intentional. What we're doing for the next four weeks is we're going to look at the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is in the Old Testament. If you had a physical Bible with you and you, you, you took it like this and you just took the middle of the Bible and opened it, it will always land on the book of Psalms, by the way, in case you didn't know that. So if someone says Psalms, open right in halfway, bang, and right after Psalms, you have the book of 
Proverbs. I'm going to explain what Proverbs is and who wrote it in a second. But here's what I want you to know. What we're looking for in this series are lessons for life. We believe that God's word isn't just some old archaic book from antiquity full of old stories, irrelevant morality and parables and, and teaching is hard to understand. There are parts of scripture that of course can be challenging. But as a whole, God's word is hopeful and helpful. And it gives us practical, real-life advice. And these, these lessons for life that, that are available to us are available to any of us who will be open to hear, open-hearted, open-minded. And again, as I always do, appealing to your rationale and saying, why not for the next four weeks be open-minded towards lessons for life that might come from God's Word. And again, if you're not a Christ follower, not a Christian, like, let me just push back for a second. Like, you will accept lessons for life from TikTok, a Chinese spying technology. You will take lessons from Instagram Reels. You will watch someone you never met who's making money off you. Watch them. You will, you will take lessons for life from them. And no, no, we take lessons from anyone we think that can help us. Why not be open-minded to the possibility that maybe God's word has something in there that can give you help and can bring you hope. So today in part one, we've called a message Fear Factor. And don't worry, no one's going to be eating any books today live, although you never know. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, what it means to fear the Lord. And like I said every week, if you don't have already downloaded the Bible app, a U version, you can put your phone right now and you can just uh, scan this QR code. Um, but there's a couple of things here. Number one, if you, if you download the app and find my church, then all of today's message notes and every week the message notes are available there for you. And this week there's a whole bunch of extra content I've put in there about the book of Proverbs that may, you may, may fancy your interest. But also we're, we started this week a new reading plan in the book of Proverbs. So if you want to track along with us reading a proverb a day, you know, then why not join with us by simply scanning the QR code and joining with us. Now, the other cool thing that I want to do for this month is we're talking a lot about, you know, Irish culture, Irish language. And the Irish, the Irish language is so rich when it comes to proverbial sayings. In fact, when I was a young lad in school, we used to have a thing called the Shan Fokalna Shoktana. Say it with me. Shan Fokal Na Shoktana. If you don't say it fast, it sounds like you're cursing at somebody, okay? Shan Fokal Na Shoktana. Shan Fokal is two words, old word, Shan Fokal, and Shoktana means weak. So, word of the week, okay? Now, we're not going to give you a word, we're going to give you a phrase. And every week, as part of our series and Proverbs, as part of copying on, we're going to look at an Irish proverb, an old Irish saying. What's really interesting is when you Google these, these are actually, a lot of them are really, really good. So this week's Shan Fulkana Shaktana is this. Put up there, please. Tus mat lat na ober. Tus mat lat na ober. Come on, stay with me. One, two, three. Tus mat lat na ober. And what it means is a good start is half the work. A good start is going to appear right now, a good start is half the work. And what it means is, is once we get our best step foot forward, we're already halfway there. And so as we start this series, everybody, come on, we're going to put our best foot forward. Now, when it comes to talking about wisdom, when it comes to talking about wisdom that comes from God's word, we have to, we have to be cognizant of the fact that every one of us in this room watching online, we have a bias. 
we have a bias. We come into this conversation, we, come, we, come, we, we interact with this message, but not objectively as if like we're sitting here li- listening and, and open-minded. We all have biases, and a bias is basically a view of the world, a worldview that affects our choices, affects how we think, affects how we process. Some of those biases are good biases, some of those biases are biases. For example, if you grew up in a place like Ireland, chances are your bias when it comes to people in general is that most people are good, nice, and friendly. But if you grew up in more challenging parts of the world, where you probably left that part of the world because it was dangerous, your bias is most people are malevolent, selfish, and greedy, and will probably try to kill you. Now, which is right and which is wrong? Well, the problem is both are right and both are wrong. Because it's all about context. And that, that, that bias hugely affects how we interact with people, how open we are, how trusting we are, or how reserved, how guarded we are. And again, I'm not saying one is right over the other. It's all about context. All I'm asking you to realize for a second is that you have a bias. Now, for those in the room who are Christ followers, we would say, I follow Jesus, I'm a person of faith. Then our, our main bias is that God is real. Hello? Our bias is the world says God is not real. We say we disagree. We think God is real, and there's reasons for that. But more than just his reality being a thing, our bias is also that God has done things in our lives that makes him worthy of our trust. To be a Christ follower isn't just to have some, how would you describe it, some dogmatic religious belief system. That, that, that's a, a bias. And there's people out there that have that bias. But actually, our bias is that God relationally came into our lives and did some things for us that we didn't deserve to help us and give us hope. And over the extended period of time that we've known him and followed him and trusted him and prayed to him and read his word, he has proven himself worthy of our trust. Which means when we who are Christ followers read God's word or hear God speak, immediately our bias says, hang on, if this is the word or voice of God, then it is worthy of my trust. But also, part touch that bias is, or what drives that, is that we recognize that he is good in nature. Again, if you're someone who's not a Christ follower, you're pushing back, maybe one of the reasons why you're not a Christ follower is because your worldview is God is not good in nature. I don't mean not good in, in nature, I mean his nature is not good. You with me? And so you've seen some evil and suffering, you've experienced evil and suffering, you've asked difficult questions of God, you haven't found appropriate or robust enough answers, and so your conclusion is, man, God is not good. And again, we'd love to go on that journey with you. But for those who are Christ followers, we would say, no, we know that God is good, because even when I'm bad, and even when the world is bad, and even when everything around me is bad, still I can trust in the goodness of God at all times and in all seasons. And because he is good, and because he is loving, and because he is generous, and because he is merciful, and because he is interested, and because he is gracious, and because of all the things he has done, he is worthy of our trust. Now, here's the thing. Again, yeah, let's just take a moment to celebrate that. If you're not here and you're not a Christ follower, you, you can't fake that feeling. That's totally natural and totally acceptable and totally welcome. But I just want you to know if you're watching, leaning in. This is how we approach this conversation as Christians. We believe that God is good and worthy of our trust. Now, when it comes, let's go back to the foolish thing. When it comes to the foolish thing, the other thing I want to say is very important as I lay the foundation of the series, is that none of us are born fools. 
I don't care what your mother said to you. I don't care how much you agree with what she said to you. You were not born a fool. Every single person that was created by the hand of God is the most intelligent, most sophisticated, most incredible piece of technological innovation ever to exist. You are the greatest thing on planet Earth. Yes, you can turn to your spouse now and say, did you hear what you said? I did. Once off. You are the greatest thing on planet Earth. So none of us are born fools, but we can all become foolish. And as we wade in this conversation, Proverbs, and we're going to see a lot of contrast in wise and the fool, and sometimes even the evil, and there's differentiation between fool and evil. What we have to understand is that it's not talking about about people's IQ or their socioeconomic class or what they believe religiously about God. It's this idea that in any moment, we all have the capacity to be wise or to be foolish. Be wise. None of us are born wise. None of us are born fools. But we can become wise and we can become foolish. Now, when it comes to becoming foolish, like I said at the beginning, all of us, foolishness is inevitable. But the thing about being foolish is that we have to be careful because being foolish isn't just, you know, a temporary moment of like, oh my gosh, like stupidity where you go, oh, cop on yourself. Like I said in the last series, Anish, foolish choices aren't just diversions. Foolish choices become directions. And things that feel like a momentary, you know, off-course choice leads to another path, which causes us to end up in a destination that we never wanted to be. And listen carefully, nobody on their wedding day looks in the eyes of the person they're marrying and says, I'm so going to divorce you. Hello? Nobody says, God, I want to follow you and serve you. All things, but I'm going to fail you miserably and end up just serving myself and worshiping myself for my own glory one day. Like we don't enter into these things. None of us growing up thought, man, my dream in life is to be a prisoner. I just can't wait to spend the rest of my life locked up in prison. So how do people end up in these, how do we end up in these places of foolishness? Well, foolish choices aren't just arbitrary choices their directions that lead to destinations. And what's really challenging about all of us, and again, I can only speak for myself here, is that when I'm making foolish choices and I've chosen a foolish diversion and someone with wisdom comes and speaks to me, usually my spouse, by the way. It's funny how oftentimes the voice of God and the voice of my spouse are so synonymous, it's scary. And, and even though I know what they're saying is right and wise, something in me bucks against the help and wisdom, that person, that confident, a trusted person, sometimes the Holy Spirit himself is trying to bring me, which makes me even more foolish. Here's the trap of foolishness. Fools not only deflect wisdom, but fools get to a point where where they actually despise it. Because they know they're wrong and they know the only way back to being right is to admit their fault. And with human beings, we are so foolish because in our foolishness, we would rather endure continual suffering over an extended period of time than acknowledge and accept the short moment of suffering. We say, you know what? You're right. I'm wrong. I need to get back on track. And the reason why we despise wisdom is because all of us have inherent selfishness. All of us have inherent 
sinfulness. Selfishness is doing things for my sake, for me, at the expense of everybody else. Sinfulness is doing things for me at the expense of what God desires, God's best. And self-righteousness is the belief I don't need God because I can do it my way. As, as old Frankie said, I did it my way. I, oftentimes I stand there at the back of funerals and I hear people choose a song, I did it my way. And I go, yeah, it may have been your way, but was it the right way? Like there's your family fragmented, your marriage and bits, one child doesn't talk to you, your legacy may be left money, but there's no values, there's no stories. We're in one generation, everything you work for will be gone, misspent in place that you never want to spend it, and no one will even remember your name. Because there's nothing worth talking about. But you know what? I did it my way. Guys, let's not make our goal in life to do it my way, but let's make our goal to do it the wise way so we have something that we leave on this earth that makes a better place. And if not for the world, at least for our world, our kids, our siblings, our parents, or whoever else matters to us. If we're not careful, our selfishness, our sinful desires, and our arrogance and self-righteousness leads us off the path of extraordinary purpose, down a road of diversion, which actually becomes a direction which leads us in the, in the opposite way that God wants us to go. And the bottom line is this, one of the reasons why we started this church is because we believe that true fulfillment, on top of fulfillment, True fulfillment in life doesn't come from attaining things or knowing people or being known by people. True fulfillment is knowing why God made you and living that purpose out. It's like no matter what you go through, how good or how bad, the sense of peace and security, which is a huge theme in today's message, comes from the fact that I know this is what God has for me. I had this conversation today with a young person. They're getting ready for their mocks. They're talking about like, you know, their CEO this month and filling out you know, choices. And they're like, oh my gosh, what should I do? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. What's right? What's wrong? And I really feel for all of our students doing uh, the juniors and leaving certain mocks. And you know what? I really prayed for you, if you're here, every day for all of you because I know how hard it is. But the bottom line is this. When you know that your life is not in your hands or even your parents' hands, but in God's hands. And that really the choice of what should I do as a career and what should I give to you is answered in, Lord, what is your will for me? And then he gives his will to you, and you go, okay, I'll just start walking in direction. The peace and security, the way anxiety and stress all falls off you because you know in that moment I have clarity in who God's called me to be. So wisdom, wisdom is the opposite of all these things. So when it comes to growing wisdom then, getting back to this message, we need to have the fear factor. And I'm going to explain what the fear factor is in a second. And to help us understand the fear factor and set up this whole series, I want us to turn in our Bibles, our Bible app, to Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to look at the very first chapter. We're going to read verse 1 to 7, but we're going to focus on verse 7, and you'll see why it's called fear factor in a second. And, uh, and then I'll explain the context. So Proverbs Chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For attaining wisdom and discipline. For understanding words of insight. For acquiring a disciplined and prudent life. Doing what is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and at the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables the sayings 
and riddles of the wise. Here it is, verse 7, our key verse. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Okay, so a little bit of context. What's happening here? Most of us in this room are familiar with King David. He was the guy that killed Goliath with a sling and a stone. And obviously, after killing Goliath, he became the king of Israel. And his son, a son that was born actually through out of wedlock to adultery with Bathsheba, is Solomon. And when King David died, he gave the kingdom of Israel to his son, Solomon. And in this incredible moment in, in the second book of Kings, God comes to Solomon and says, Solomon, <clears throat> because of your father's legacy, because of his wisdom, not perfection, his wisdom in following me, I want to help you. Ask me what you wish, kind of thing, and let's see what happens. And Solomon thinks and thinks and thinks, what do I need to rule well? What do I need to lead well? What do I need to live well? And he doesn't ask for wealth or power or status or an army, all the things you think that a king would ask for. Instead, he says, God, give me wisdom. Because if I have wisdom, I can build a great family. If I have wisdom, I can build a great kingdom. If I have wisdom, I can be successful in battle. If I have wisdom, I can develop energy sources and all sorts of, 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 of commercial resources to make our nation prosper. So he asked for wisdom. And of course, historians often talk about how he's the wisest man that ever lived. The point is this. Solomon wrote a number of books. And one of the most famous books he wrote is the book of Proverbs. Not everything in Proverbs are, here, his, are of him alone, but the vast majority are. And that's why it says in verse 1, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now, that's who wrote it, verse 2. Why? For the attaining of wisdom and instruction. So, this book, so you read, okay, book of Proverbs, who wrote? Solomon, okay, that's who he is, son of David, brilliant. Why did he write it? For us to attain, gain, get, grow in wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight to become uh, prudent in life to live a life watch this in verse three that is right and just and fair i mean i don't know how you'd summarize your desire for life in terms of like what you think success is but i think in those three words are really admirable encouraging standard or goal that we could all, like if all of our society right now said, my goal in life, regardless of I'm a Christian or not, is to be someone that lives a life that is right, just, and fair. Can you imagine what that, what that could do to our country? What it could do to our world if people made that their goal? And so he goes on to explain, for the young, for those who are simple. And it's not saying simple in an intelligent sense, but those who are, 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 are hungry to learn wisdom. And then verse 7, he finishes with, For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. This is what we're going to call the fear factor, okay? The fear factor is understanding what Solomon meant in verse 7. There's three things I want to show you very quickly from verse 7 that lay the foundation for this series, but also help us today in us wanting to get wise. And like we said, too smart Latin Auber, a good start is already half the work. So the first one is this. The first thing that I do if we're going to walk in the fear factor is we to revere God's worth. Now, usually when you see revere and God and a W, you think revere God's wrath. And a lot of people try, try to motivate people into Christianity by talking about God's wrath, how God's going to get them. 
And, you know, I'm a huge Johnny Cash fan, and I'm like most of his songs. He sung one near the end of his life called, uh, Sooner or Later, God's Gonna Hunt You Down. Ever heard that song? Go tell that long-tongued liar. Go tell that midnight rider. The rambler, the gambler, the backbiter. Sooner or later, God's gonna hunt you down. And I think about that song, and I go, what a great song. But then I think, what a horrible message. <laughs> it's like, God's out to get you. Like, come to this loving, generous, gracious Father who's out to get you. It's like, well, which one is he? And there's a sense in where in the end of time, God's just, justice and God's righteousness will be proven true of the earth. But the best way to, to answer the question is to go back to Jesus. How did Jesus proclaim the good news? And usually what happened was, was to those who knew the truth or were supposed to know, those who were religious, he said, hey, you guys are manipulating this word of mine for your own selfish gain and you will see God's wrath. But to those who are out of the faith, who didn't know, to the broken, the sinful, those who are lost, those who are hurting, those who need healing, Jesus spoke with God's mercy, God's grace, God's love, and God's forgiveness. And what's so interesting, again, if you're not a Christ follower, is when you read the Gospels, it wasn't the people that were religious and went to church that liked Jesus. They actually didn't like Jesus because Jesus was so irreligious. Wow, there's a thought for you. In fact, people who are nothing like Jesus loved Jesus. And there's something in that for us. That we, we, we have to be careful not to reduce the good news of the gospel to religiosity, rules, and man-made standards. So the reverence is not for God's wrath, but actually it's for God's worth. Like I said in the beginning, there's a sense in where God is worthy of our trust. Now, when Solomon says fear, the biblical sense of the word is not to be afraid, to be, be afraid of God, like, oh my gosh, God's some abusive father and he's out to get you and if he catches you, you're going to be in trouble and get a scolding. No, no. The biblical word fear is actually the word reverence. And the word reverence is, to, is defined as or to revere, to hold highly, to admire, or to value. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, to hold God highly, to admire him to value him, to count him worthy of your trust is the beginning of knowledge. Now, before you go, well, that's a bit lofty. Understand that we all revere something. Like everyone in this room has a bias, right? And part of our bias is that we allow our lives, our opinions, our worldviews to be shaped by other people or by other things. And all of us, because of, of the culture we live in, because of our unfair access to technology, because of how we popularize movie stars and music stars and artists, we, we are all tempted daily because of our reverence for an idol, because of our reverence for an ideal, or because of our reverence for an ideology to hold them highly, to admire are too valuable. And again, I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong, but when the person we hold in the highest reverence is a person that isn't God, my, my suggestion is maybe that's not healthy and that's not helpful. And, and, and for those who are Christ followers, certainly we need, to do a, we need to do a reality check because sometimes some influencer on Instagram has more weight over your life than your father in heaven. 
And what someone says in a quote that gets likes has more influence over your life than the weight of God's word. Yes, there may be 10,000 likes right now, but God's word has had 10 billion likes since the day it was written to this day today. And in fact, if you're not a Christian or Christ follower, here's something you should consider. The fact that we are still in this room in 21st century Ireland, even quoting the Bible, should at least make you curious to go, what is with this book? How does it survive generation after generation? And why would young, cool, hip people like us, like you, I try, why would we pay attention to it? Because there's truth, there's hope, and there's help. But the point is, all of us have things that we revere. And revering is revealing. What we're revering is revealing. What we hold high, what we admire, what we value, what we watch, what we listen to, what we spend our time doing, who we spend our time listening to is actually shaping us, shaping our bias, shaping our worldview, shaping our values, shaping our perspective of success, shaping our self-worth, and shaping our sense of identity. Again, that in itself is not a bad thing if it's pointing in the direction, but if you're a Christ follower, and someone out there more than your father in heaven is the primary reverer of your life, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Because the person that we should revere the most is our father in heaven. To revere God, we do three things. Number one, we to acknowledge that he is Lord. And again, I'm going to be very candid right now, so forgive my directness and forthrightness. There is no other God. There is no other religion. There is no other perspective. Oprah's wrong. All rivers do not lead into one beautiful sea of love in heaven one day. If that was the case, then why do certain religions that promote killing and torture and abuse, how could that God be the same God of the Bible? Surely they must contradict each other at some way. Otherwise, both of them are not worth following. There is one Lord and there is one Savior and his name is Jesus. And if you're going to be people that revere God, again, if you're not a Christ follower, you know, this might seem pushy, so I'm sorry. But for you who are Christians, I'm going to push you. Because you made a choice to follow Jesus. And I want to remind you at the beginning of 2023 that following him and revering means that we acknowledge that he is Lord over our life. He is number one. Not your friends, not your spouse, not yourself, not what Instagram says, not what your dream is. Famous. God's will and God's word is number one in your life. And if you don't want that, then press unfollow. No problem, it's a free country. No one's making you. No one's judging you. But if you say, I am a Christ follower, then number one, we need to acknowledge that he is Lord of... Should I buy this new house? Lord. Should I buy this new car? Lord, should I go out with this person even though something in me tells me it's in conflict with my values, ideals? Lord. What should I do at college? Mother, father, uncle, world, guidance counselor, Jesus. What is your will for my life? Life is so simple and so much more fulfilling when every choice you make is, Lord, what is your will for me today? So we need to get back to the basics and recognize if we're going to re- revere God's worth, if we, if we agree he's worthy of our trust, that comes from a place where we acknowledge he's Lord. Number two, we also need to allow him to be our liberator. I mean, some of this, did you hear the songs that we, we sang this morning? How rich those lyrics were. Healed and forgiven. My chains, what did those words go? Have fallen off, whatever. Like, 
I, I was standing there singing, and I was thinking about how the other day, so funny story, last week we ran out of oil. This is 21st century Ireland, everybody. So we ran out of oil on Friday, couldn't order more oil, so we had three days in our house with no heating. We had a fire, so not so bad. Thank you, Addy, for helping out with that. And uh, so we had a fire. And the, one day we got oil, my, one of my kids came in the house and went, oh my gosh, thank God. Heating. And I was laughing because I was on the phone, it was time, so I was thinking, when I grew up, the way I was raised, because my house was so dysfunctional, we had no heater in our house. No heating. And we had no carpet. And most rooms had no doors. And my bed was a mattress on the floor. That was it. So I grew up, a large part of my teenage years at least, in a house with no heating, no doors, and no bed. And I was just reflecting like, man, if I had stayed on that trajectory... I would have had a bed and heating and doors, but they would have made of iron. Because I would have been in jail, everybody. So when I'm sitting there hearing the band lead us into God's presence, healed and forgiven, look where my chains are now. It isn't just some wonderful, happy, clappy. It's like, that's what God has done for me. I am healed. I am forgiven. And the more I think about the fact that he forgives me, it blows my mind. It takes a lot of God's forgiveness just to cover me as one person. Sometimes I think maybe I would exhaust all of God's mercy because I keep needing to be forgiven. Yet every time I come to the end of myself in my selfishness, my sinfulness, and my self-righteousness, I find new grace and new mercy and new help and new hope. The Christian message isn't one of get in line and follow the rules. It's allow God to set you free. Allow God into you. You're holding on to bitterness. Unforgiveness because what the world or someone has done to you. Allow God to bring healing. You're holding on to this this status in life that one day you're going to have this amount of money and this job. Just you can point back your parents to you. See, I did it. I proved myself. You don't have to prove anything to your heavenly father. He loves you and accepts you the way you are. And if you do great things, do it from a place of worship and glory and honor him. Not out of some trying to prove yourself kind of place. The, the, the power of the Christian gospel isn't in following rules and being a good, good Christian. It's in allowing and accepting, allowing God to be liberated and accepting him as the lover of our soul. That really you have someone in the world who really and truly loves you. And when you're young, you know, you don't really think about too much love, who cares, whatever. You love yourself too much to care everybody else is thinking about yourself. You know what I'm saying? But as you get older and joints start, stop working and you, you, you develop funny shapes and your hair falls out and turns white and you get to crap and you think, man, I'm dying. I'm only in my 30s. And you realize that some of those idiosyncrasies that were cute in your teens and 20s are actually becoming your personality. And all the things you despise in your father or your mother are now in you. And you're going, man, how could anyone love me? And if you're married to someone that loves you, thank God and protect your marriage. But understand this, even if that falls and fails, you have a father in heaven that is a lover of your soul. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress. Here's the legacy part. And their children, for their children, to their children, it will be a refuge. By revering God, not are we only experiencing the benefit of the security that being 
in relationship and walking with it, wisdom brings, but actually we leave a legacy for our kids. And this is so important. Why? Because yes, we can train our kids as much as we can in life, and yes, we can get them through college, and yes, we can try to get them in a good career track, but if the world melts down tomorrow, if they lose their job and lose their status and lose their money and they lose their health and we're not there to help them, the question is what can we give our children that is robust enough to stand to all of life's problems and the greatest legacy you can give your child is a sincere belief and faith and reverence for God. Because in their darkest hour, when you're not there to help them, God will be. In their darkest hour, when you don't have the resource, emotional or financial, to help them, God can. And even when we're dead and buried and we're pushing up daisies for the sake of nature, God will still be there. The greatest legacy we can leave our children is faith in God. It was A.W. Tozer who said this. He said, what good is all our busy religion if God isn't in it? What good is it if we've lost majesty, reverence, worship, and awareness of the divine? What good is it if we've lost a sense of the presence and ability to retreat in our own hearts and meet God in the garden? Reverence isn't some, oh my gosh, God did get me. Reverence is, I value God and he's worthy of my trust. So the first part of fear factor, and the, obviously the longest one, is reverence for God's word. Number two, respect for God's word. And again, we cover this massively in part three of a niche, but I want to just say a couple of things on this. When you look at the book of Proverbs, it usually uses, uses three words uh, that kind of are part of wisdom. There's knowledge, there's understanding, and then there's wisdom. And the key thing to know is this, knowledge alone is not enough to be wise. Like you can know that cycling a bicycle requires you to push the pedals with your feet, right? You can know that, that doesn't mean you can cycle a bicycle. I could, I could, I could put you on a motorcycle. You know, if I pull this lever, that's a throttle. If I pull that yoke in, that's a clutch. If I press it down, that's a brake. If I push that down, that's a gear. You can know it, but if you don't understand it, you can't really write it. So knowledge, knowledge alone is a good base, but not enough. God's word brings us understanding. To understand means to comprehend, to grasp, to grip, to get. And when knowledge becomes understanding, and understanding is applied in our lives, that's where wisdom is. Wisdom is the application of knowledge to understanding. You can know something, you can understand something, but only when you live that sucker out does it become wisdom. And time and time again in Proverbs, if you read later on, Solomon, or the author, talks about how wisdom protects us. Wisdom is a great benefactor. Wisdom looks out for us. Even when we're sleeping, it says in chapter 4, wisdom still looks over us because wisdom isn't just knowing stuff. It's living life in a certain direction that reaps the benefit of understanding knowledge of God's Word. That's a great way to find wisdom. Now, uh, to make it more simpler, let's quote a very famous Irish scholar, Brian Driscoll, who, of course, was the captain of the Irish rugby team, who said this, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. But wisdom is knowing not to use it in a fruit salad. So that's great. Cop on, Brian Driscoll. Well done. Thank you for that. That's, that's, that's the height of Irish geniuses right there. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, says, every word of God is flawless, and he is again a shield to those who take refuge 
in him. See, when we revere God's worth, therefore we, we know he's good in nature and he's worthy of trust. Therefore, everything he says is flawless and we, we, we hedge our bets, we anchor our life, we, 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 we allow the course and direction of our existence to be shaped and determined by what God says. That becomes a place of refuge, a place of security for us. Now, in that, there's two practical challenges. Number one, two challenges, here we go. Number one, do you know the word? That's what we're trying to focus on so heavily in January and February. Do you know the word? Are you reading the word? You don't need a, a, a bachelor's degree in theology for the word. All you got to do is read it. When I, when I decided personally to follow Jesus 20 years ago, I didn't know what that even meant. I just knew something in me witnessed the fact this was the right direction. And so I would... I picked up God's word and I just started reading. What was so funny was even though I was so intimidated by it, even though I was sometimes insulted by it before I come to Christ, like it was, I thought it was offensive because of its, its morality, didn't fit with our modern day view of morality. But when I started reading for myself, I had this incredible hunger come upon me where it was like the more I read, the more I wanted to read. And as I kept reading and kept reading and kept reading, I realized I wasn't just reading a book. This book was reading me. And as I was reading this book, it wasn't just reading for knowledge, and it wasn't just reading for understanding. God was speaking to me practically daily about my life, giving me wisdom beyond my years, that if I was willing to open my heart, open my ears to hear, would bring great benefit for my life. But God can't speak a word that we don't know. So the first step is, get in the word. You know, it's not massive. Just say, I'm going to read four verses a day. I chapter today, again, on that Bible plan and the Bible app, it's one chapter of Proverbs every day. It's so simple, but it will make your life better. The second challenge is, is once you know, is do you apply the word? So if you're here and you're not a Christ follower, well then obviously number one is the challenge. Like, do you know? I don't know. Well, why, not, why not take a risk and at least read the book of Proverbs? Like you're not going to you know, be you know, duped or tricked into some kind of weird thing. Just read this book of wise sayings and see what happens. But if you are a Christ follower, the challenge is different. Do you apply the word? Because you can know it. I know loads of Christians who can quote scripture back to front, but are struggle in a very basic way to live it out. I'm not saying that we live everything out perfectly because we don't, but I'm just saying the basic stuff. Like, for example, Christians shouldn't be mean. Hello? Christians shouldn't be mean. A mean Christian is someone that needs forgiveness or healing or counseling or all three. Because we are daily recipients of the kindness of God. What do you do when someone gives you a nice thing? If I walked you right now and said, here's a thousand euro, God bless you. You're like, oh, a thousand euro. You wouldn't know what to do with yourself, right? you probably say some things that are stupid and go, cup onto yourself. Right? But you'd be, you'd be pleasant. You'd be, you'd be full of joy. You'd be happy, right? Because someone's done a kind thing for you. Every morning you wake up, your Father in heaven loves you, forgives you, fights for you, stands with you, provides for you, protects you, blesses you. Wow! Oh, what a kind thing! Therefore, our disposition to the world should be we're kind. Not that we're perfect. And believe me, I'm a grumpy person naturally, especially in the mornings. At least takes three coffees before I become human. So I get that. 
not saying we should all be like happy, clappy. I'm just saying that when, you, when, when the world thinks that the average Christian is a mean-spirited religious bigot, something's wrong. Because we should be kind. And we should be generous. And we should be servant-hearted. We should be first to hold the door, last to go in. When someone needs help, we should be first to offer. Why? This is who we are. So I'm not talking about applying the word in perfection. I'm talking about the general, the basic stuff. Are we people are living out God's word? And maybe over the next four weeks, that's what God is going to help us do in a better way, is to grow in not just knowledge and understanding, but to grow in wisdom by applying it to our lives. Third and final thing, and we're going to pray and be done. We revere God's worth. We respect God's word. Number three, we rely on God's ways. Rely on God's ways. Application requires trust. To, to apply God's word, we must trust that God is good. He's worthy of our trust. And that you know, his word is flawless. The word trust is defined in the English dictionary as a firm belief in the reliability or truth or ability of a person. Thing. So trust isn't just blind trust. Trust is a belief. That, that It's a firm belief. It's a conviction. This person, this thing is reliable, it's true, and it has the ability to do whatever it is designed to do. And, and what's interesting is the word rely in the English dictionary actually comes from an old French word that was used to describe whenever a rope was made, how the rope would be bound together. Bound together. And this is a theme that we find throughout uh, Solomon's writings, a three-stranded cord is not easily broken. To rely on someone means we bind ourselves to it. We, 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 we take hold of it. It takes hold of us. We give ourselves to it and we trust that it has the, it has the ability to hold us up. Think about this. Every one of you today, you came in and you picked your seat and you sat in it. You didn't think about the fact that maybe there was a hole there. That you could just got sucked into the ground and just disappeared from life. You won't worry about being broken, you weren't worried about someone having spilled ice cream on it, you just assumed this seat is good and worthy of my trust, and you've put your precious little derriere our precious big derriere, have you want to view your derriere, in that seat and thank God they're big seats, amen you didn't even think about it. why? because you trust, and even those who say I'm not a very trusting person every seat you sit in you go up and you go poof, like you're not going and go hmm let me just examine this chair. You know, put some. We don't do that. It's silly. Why? Because we assume that the chair's ability to hold our weight is factual and true. In the same way, to rely on God's ways means if I put my life in His hands, if I put my future in His hands, if I put my brokenness in His hands, He won't drop me. He won't let me slip. I can't be snatched from it because his grip is strong and his love for me is great. To rely on God means we trust in him. Wisdom knows that we can trust God. An unknown person said this, God is not asking you to figure it out. He's asking you to trust that he already has. Proverbs 3, 4 and 5 says this, says that we should trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding. Just like the chair, we lean into God, we lean on God, we rely on his ways. In all of our ways, submit to him 
and he will make your path straight. Not, he won't allow us to go off on these weird diversions that become regrets. He keeps on the path that, that we really desire to walk our extraordinary purpose. There was a great, another great Irish thinker, C.S. Lewis, said this, Rely on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing had been done. Every day we must make a choice to rely on God. And today we start the series, I want to invite you as my friends, as we revere God's worth, as we respect God's word, let's make a choice this February to rely on God's ways. And if you're not a Christ follower, at least give it a go. You sat in your chair, it could have been booby-trapped. Who knows? That's why pranks get people all the time because we assume, oh, it will, and it doesn't. But maybe today, God can hold your life. And maybe God can pick you up. And maybe God can put you back together. Let's pray. Let's stand and pray right now. Just for a second, as the band gets ready, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. I just felt led to ask you this very simple question. What are you basing or staking your life on right now? What, what is the bias that you've anchored your soul to? Maybe it's that one day you'll be so successful that everyone will see how great you are. Maybe it's that one day you'll have worked so hard for your whole life that you won't, you won't experience the lack that your parents did and will be able to leave for your kids that which your parents couldn't leave for you. Thank you.